Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Before we get started today, nonprofits and grant writers often ask me where they can find grants. So I tell them about Instrumental. Instrumental makes my grant searching process go so much faster. It has so many features and data right there, and they'll even walk you through setting it up to help you get the most out of the system. Instrumental brings all your grant prospecting, tracking, and ongoing management under one roof. In fact, I partnered with Instrumental to give you a free two-week trial and $50 off your first month. Go to TeresaHuff.com slash Instrumental, that's instrument with an L, and use the code GWSPOD to start your free trial. That's TeresaHuff.com slash Instrumental. Go give it a try. Welcome, friends. I have been reflecting about all the different things we have covered here in the podcast lately to support you in your grant writing work. Over the last several months, we've talked about things like mentoring, which also includes mentors from afar sometimes. We've talked about blind spots lately. We've talked about addressing overwhelm and taking things one step at a time and ways that you can do that to take care of yourselves and lots of book recommendations here on the podcast. My guests have had some great books, and I've also recommended several that I've enjoyed that have been helpful to me. And also, some of you have been reaching out and asking more specifics about how you can get started in grant writing. So I want to be sure that you know about my 90-day VIP coaching program, The Fast Track to Grant Writer. This is a 90-day intensive coaching program that will help you level up your grant writing skills. It's a mix of go-at-your-own-pace learning, plus small group coaching and accountability and direct feedback from me. So this is a great way to get input and advice and strategy for your next steps in your grant writing journey. You can sign up today at TeresaHuff.com slash VIP. In the nonprofit world and just life in general, so many things are outside of our control especially with business and nonprofit work. So we need to look at what can we control. And sometimes that's not easy, but it's simple. It's things like our attitudes, our reactions to difficult situations, our mindset toward challenges, how we treat others. Those are simple, but they're difficult to put into practice sometimes. And you've probably heard the saying, you become like the five people you're around the most. So my question is, who are you hanging around and are you someone that others want to become like? Believe it or not, you can influence change within your circles. And I want to challenge you to think about how you can do that. 
If you've been paying close attention to the last few episodes, I've been dropping a few clues for you here and there about today's guest. I'm really excited about this one, and here are a few clues about him. He is the co-author of an international best-selling book. We have mentioned his name and the book several times on multiple podcast episodes. This man is a mentor of last week's guest when I talked with Licky Lavji last week about blind spots. And this guest is a wonderful example of a go-giver. If you haven't guessed by now, <laughs> today I am talking with Bob Berg. He is co-author of The Go-Giver. He and John David Mann wrote this book a few years ago, and it has been tremendous. Bob is a widely respected speaker at sales and leadership conferences, and he is so committed to inspiring the entrepreneurial spirit in all of us. Bob shows that companies and nonprofits that conduct their business the go-giver way are not only of much greater value to their customers and the people they serve, but they're also significantly more functional and profitable and healthy as an organization. And that is what we dig into today. Bob has so much sage wisdom and advice. If you haven't read the book, I highly recommend that you check it out. And actually, there's a whole Go-Giver series that is just fantastic. The Go-Giver itself has sold more than 1 million copies and has been translated into 30 languages. It was rated number 10 on Inc. Magazine's list of the most motivational books ever written. So you don't just have to take my word for it. <laughs> this is a fantastic book in a fantastic conversation with Bob Berg. So with that, I hope you are encouraged and inspired today. Bob, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to finally meet you and get a chance to sit down and visit. Tell us a random fact about yourself. A random fact? Well, that I am an introvert and very few people believe it until they get to know me and then they realize I absolutely am. <laughs> As a fellow introvert, I can totally relate. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about The Go-Giver and your subtitle is A Unique Story About a Powerful Business Idea. And this little unique story has caused quite a stir. So that's <laughs> a little bit of how you got to this point. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, the, the book itself is a business parable. So it's a work of fiction. It was co-authored by John David Mann, who I believe you're friends with as well. And, and um, you know, he was really the lead writer, storyteller. I'm much more of a how-to guy. I'm step one, step two, step three. So I'm, I'm kind of boring, but John is, you know, he's a great, great uh, storyteller. And it's about a guy named Joe, who was a young, up-and-coming, ambitious, aggressive uh, uh, salesperson good guy, but his focus was really on the wrong thing. It was on himself and it was on what he needed to accomplish and what he needed. And, uh, you know, the, the fact is, Teresa, that people don't do business with, uh, with you because you have a quota to meet, right? They, they do business because they believe it's in their best interest to do business. And that might be financial, but it could be for many other reasons. And what Joe had to kind of learn was that shifting your focus 
is really the key. And it's shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in this context, we simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others. And that doing so is not only a more fulfilling way of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. But not for any kind of you know, woo-woo, way out there, magical, mystical type of reasons, it actually makes very rational sense. And that, you know, when you're that person who can take your focus off yourself and place it on genuinely, authentically serving others, discovering what they need, what they want, what they desire, when helping them to solve their challenges, when moving your focus off yourself and onto helping them uh, move closer to happiness, People feel good about you. They feel great about you. They want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to be in in relationship with you. They want to do business with you. They certainly want to tell others all about you. So that's really the you know the premise of the of the book. I love that, and I love how the principles are so applicable to so many different types of work or personal mm-hmm. lives, relationships, all the pieces. And I find it interesting, even though you wrote it as a business book, there are a lot of nonprofit elements woven in, which a nonprofit is essentially a type of running a business. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. And so even with... if maybe a little different slant, but still, I really like that you wove both of those elements in. So I'd love to dig into that a little bit more because some of these things you're saying also very much apply to trying to find donors and cultivate relationships and giving value, not just how can we get more money? How can we pay the bills? How can we get people to give? It's also about how can you turn that around? Well, you know, so it's the same when you bring this up. It's such a great point because it's the same in any business when you say, well, it's not just about, you know, getting the donations where it's not just, well, it's not, it's about, it, it's not focusing on those because remember the person who's the donor isn't doing it because you need the donations to keep your doors open. They're doing it because they have a reason for donating. Yes. And they have their own unique reason for doing that. And the salesperson, and yes, I'm going to say the person in in nonprofit who's out there raising funds is a salesperson. They are having to sell the idea as to why that person should donate and why it should be to this particular nonprofit. Okay. And now let's, let's look at, at, at the term sales though, because a lot of people, especially in the nonprofit field who, and even in the for-profit field, they see sales as like a necessary evil, right? Something you have to do. You wish you didn't have to. Well, if you look at sales as trying to convince somebody to buy something they don't want or need or donate to a cause they don't believe in, well, sure. But you know, that's not selling. That's, called being a con artist, right? (laughs) Trying to get them to do something they don't want to do, right? Uh, Selling is simply discovering what the other person does need, want, or desire and helping them to get it. And when you look at sales in that frame, now you see it's something you can be very proud of. You know, the old English root of the word sell was salan, which meant to give. So when you're selling, you're literally, you are literally giving. Now, what are you giving? Well, you're giving time, attention, counsel, education, empathy, and most of all, value. 
Now, as a salesperson trying to to help this other person decide to give to your nonprofit, okay, well, what are you giving them? They're really giving to you. Well, they're doing both. It's it's both, okay. But what you're giving them is an opportunity to do something that's congruent with their values, okay. So if this person is going to donate, uh, let's say just because they want a, a tax break. Well, that's their values. You're helping them to do it. If they're doing it because they want their name on a wall, okay, well, that's congruent with their values and you're helping them to do that. If it's that they just want to feel as though they're making a big difference with a wonderful cause, well, that's their values and you're helping them act accordingly with that. So, you know, again, it's, it's, it's the salesperson's job to, to discover what is the other person's reason for making that donation. I love that you put it in that context, because I think when you say salesperson, that probably strikes terror in a lot of people's hearts of <laughs> thinking, no, I don't want to sell, but you're completely redefining that right. stereotype or the status quo of sales. You're right. saying this is about building a relationship mm -hmm. and helping exactly. someone get what they need. And in nonprofit work, there are so many people who love a particular cause, but they can't pack up and go to Africa, or maybe their health doesn't allow them to volunteer at the food pantry or whatever exactly. it is. They just cannot get involved on the front lines at the level that they would like, but they do want to support in other ways. Exactly. Yes. So from what you're saying, you're helping make that connection from mm -hmm. whatever they desire to the ways they can support that for whatever their reasons are. For, for whatever their personal reasons are. Absolutely. So it makes it so much less intimidating. And mm -hmm. I'm reading The Go-Givers Sell More right now. And so that one is also just a very down-to-earth, <laughs> approachable way of addressing this. And I really like how you're putting it in the nonprofit context. Oh, thank you. So how did this come about with your background to develop this? What led you to this point? Well, I had a, a book out years ago called Endless Referrals, and the subtitle was Network Your Everyday Contacts Excuse me, into Sales. And this was written, this was published in the mid nineties, but it was, you know, it was a how-to book. It was a, it was a system basically for people who, you know, entrepreneurs and salespeople who knew they had a great product or service. They knew it brought lots of value to those they served, but they didn't necessarily feel comfortable or confident going out into their neighborhoods and into their communities and uh, developing the kinds of relationships that would cause people to want to do business with them and refer them to others. So, so endless referrals was a system for doing so. And we always had a lot of nonprofit people read that book as well, because again, what you, you know, the basic premise of that book is that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Well, it's the same in the nonprofit world, you know, before they donate to your nonprofit, they're first buying the person you know, who, who, you know, so when they know, like, and trust that person, they're much more likely to, to donate. And so that's what Endless Referrals was about. But again, it was a how-to book. And uh, I'd always read, since I'd been in sales, I'd always read uh, 
parables and always enjoyed them because parables are stories and stories tend to connect on a much deeper level on a very much a heart level with people and i know whenever i had read stories whenever i'd read parables whether it was Ogmandino's, you know greatest salesman in the world or Classen's richest man in babylon or in the late 70s early 80s uh uh, Doctors Blanchard and Johnson, the one minute manager, you know, in that whole line of one minute that I always felt a real connection, you know, with the, with the authors, even if I didn't know them, you know, and with the story, with the character. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if we could take this whole no like and trust premise and put it into a, a parable. So uh, I reached out to John, who was at that time, the editor in chief of a magazine I used to write for. I used to do a monthly column for them. And John, even back then had this fantastic reputation as a brilliant, brilliant writer and author. And he wasn't as well known back then as he he certainly is now. But fortunately, I knew who he was. <laughs> so I asked and he was the only one I wanted to write this with. And I asked him, if, you know, if he, I told him about this idea, the basic idea, outline, whatever. But it was when John came into the picture, and we got together as co-authors that we really developed this into a story and, and uh, you know, again, he was the lead writer and we put together the five, the five laws. And, you know, that's really how the, how the book came about. I really appreciate the parable approach because when you mentioned the five laws, I can think through and because of the characters in the right. parable, I remember the laws. Yeah, yeah If you had yeah. given me a list, I may or may not have remembered it. Exactly. It was a good book, but did I memorize them? Probably not, <laughs> but I didn't have to memorize them because they're woven into the story. Right, exactly. So that makes point. it much easier to apply <laughs> the principles and go back to those. So how have you seen this creating a ripple effect? And I ask this because partly with the podcast, that's one of my goals. I can't write all the grants for all the causes that I can teach others, and then they can go out and write their grants. Sure, so what exactly. are you seeing as a ripple effect from the go-giver? Well, we love the idea that that people saw the book as a way to, uh, again, to bring up a term I talked about earlier, act according to their value system. Because, you know, uh, again, most people have this sort of backwards notion of sales. But you know, most people really want to do good for the world. And people who are in, in, who are entrepreneurs, people in sales, people in, you know, again, grant writing and nonprofits and all those, they're doing it because they have a passion for it. They're doing it because they believe in it and they know they're doing something good for the world. That doesn't mean it's just, just some altruistic, you know, self-sacrificial type, not at all. And that doesn't have to be. And that's one of the, the, the points of the book too. It's not an either, or it's not, you're either a giver or a receiver. No, you're both. You're both. You focus on giving exceptional value to others, right? Making their lives better, uh, doing good for, and you also receive in abundance, which you should. This is why John and I say that money is simply an echo of value. It's the thunder, if you will, to, to values lightning. But people wanted to feel like they could go out there and focus on the customer, and still do well in business. And what John and I say is that's the only way you're going to do well consistently and sustainably is by focusing on that other person. Because remember, they're not buying for your reason, they're buying for their reason. So that salesperson who's able to really focus on the other person's reason, discovering that reason, and then you know tying that together, tying the benefits of their offer with what the other person wants to accomplish, 
That's the person who's going to be successful. So, you know, that's, that's really kind of what we, what we feel the, the feedback that we've gotten is it's, it's allowed the, you know, it's, it's allowed people to, to work as they would like to work. It's almost a permission to have both sides of the equation uh, uh, to give uh, and uh, receive. Yes. And I like that you have created that more cycle of ecosystem as opposed to just a one-way street. Yeah, as we say, you've got to, and in the story at the end with Pindar and the and Joe, the protege, uh, where he said, you know, you can't just breathe out, right? You've, you've got to breathe in as well. Right. They breathe out carbon dioxide, breathe in oxygen, breathe out, which is giving, breathe in, which is receiving. Giving and receiving are not opposite concepts. They're actually two sides of the very same coin, but that's not really the message we get from the world around us. That's right? so true. We always hear you you need to give, but nobody talks about the receiving side because that's maybe considered selfish or right, you're right. just out for blood or whatever right. the negative connotations yeah. are, but you're actually making it just a neutral, natural part of the process. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And that's really with nonprofit work in particular, where I know so many nonprofit leaders that are just overwhelmed and so much going on and trying to work. It, they really need that encouragement that let the process come together mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. start that network and relationships and then not be quite so paralyzed by the fear of what do I do next? How do I raise money? How do I do this? Just right. kind of relax and enjoy the process. Right. Very well stated. You know, again, uh, have a game plan, control what you can control, right? The Stoics taught us that, right? Control mm -hmm. what you can control and work at that and do what you can with that, but don't be attached to what's out of your control. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I had seen on your website the phrase about how much fun, less stustful, and more profitable <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> your business can be. <laughs> and I really feel like that could be so true of nonprofit work as well, if we would mm -hmm. just let it. <laughs> yeah. And even grant writing, that's one reason I started some of my courses. Like It doesn't have to be boring or stressful or overwhelming. We can have fun with it and let's right. make it more fun. And so, when it is, that's and when it is, that's when it's more profitable, right? You know, it's exactly. a, our energy is is in the right direction. It's oh, it's a, you're you're absolutely right on the mark. What would you suggest to either the overwhelmed nonprofit leader or a grant writer who is just feeling discouraged? And I mean, this sounds wonderful to have fun, less stress. I mean, mm -hmm. you're hitting the mark. <laughs> you're hitting the pain points of these, what they are struggling with. So what would you say to encourage them to shift into that type of operation or means of working in the day-to-day? -day? What would be a practical piece of advice? Well, you know, it, it comes down to just like uh, Nicole Martin, one of the mentors in the story, it, it comes down to making a decision. And I, I know that sounds simple to the point of simplistic, and maybe it is. But it really is that simple. You make a decision and you decide what it's going to be. Okay. Now, again, that there's nothing magical or mystical about that. That doesn't mean you don't have a game plan. It doesn't mean you don't learn what to do and, and learn how to do it. And, you know, coaches such as you are, are what help to, you know, to, to put those plans into action. You, you take control of what you can control. 
and you decide it's going to be joyous. Now, it doesn't mean everything about it is unicorns and rainbows, as they say. You know, life is life, okay? But it's a general attitude. It's a general way of looking at the world. It's a general way of seeing the world. Uh, in his his wonderful 1910 classic, The Science of Getting Rich, Wallace D. Waddles talked about living on the creative plane as opposed to the competitive plane. That doesn't mean there's no competition. It doesn't mean people aren't out there trying to get the same grant money or the same donation. Of course they are. And, and you can be aware of them and that's fine, but your focus is on creating value, right? And so when that's your focus, you tend to live more in joy. I love that. And that helps kind of quantify and bring it back around of where is our attention and uh, what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on the negative potential things that could happen or are we focusing on I can't change how other people are acting, but I can change my attitude uh, or how exactly. I treat. And people tend to respond in yes, the way do. we treat them. So yes, they it do. creates a back and forth cycle. And to some extent, like you said, we can decide what is that cycle going to be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we look at something like uh, positive intention or positive expectation, let's say, when dealing with an, another person, okay? And we say, so Berg, are you just saying, just expect that person to be helpful and nice and kind and everything, and they will be? That's not what I'm saying, okay? Your positive expectation isn't going to change them. Your positive expectation is going to change you. Right. And that's what changes them. Because when you go in there expecting them to be defensive and horrible and cheap and ugly and everything, well, you're going to you're going to act as though that's what who they are. That's what you're expecting. And they're going to pick up on that energy. And you go in there expecting them to be kind and generous and wonderful and loving and all those things. And the chances are you're transferring that to that person. How do you act when someone is like that? Well, you you're grateful you have a smile on your face. It's from the heart going out, you know, in inside out and all that. People pick up on that energy. Now, again, that doesn't mean you're going to have the sale every time. It doesn't mean they're going to donate every time. It doesn't mean you're going to get. No, of course not. But you're increasing the odds, certainly, because that is your expectation. You're changing you. And doing that is what creates that what we call benevolent context for success. Exactly. I love that you are making this, it's not about woo-woo or what can I create or make other people do. It's nothing like that. It's more about how are you controlling your attitude? Mm. How are you reacting to their attitudes? And how are you choosing to act regardless of the things they're doing? Exactly. And that, that could really affect workplace dynamics as well on teams and families. (laughs) And also, you know, there's a wonderful book that I'd like to suggest. It's also a parable, actually. It was written, I think, about a year after The Go-Giver, and it's called Go for No. And it's by a a husband and wife team, Andrea Waltz and Richard Fenton, G-O-F-O-R-N-O.com is their website. I think they've got them now for different industries, but their original one, the parable, it was about a, I think it was about a copying machine salesperson who learned how to totally reframe no's so that they were working for him as opposed to against him. It's a short little book. You know, it's one I wish they had written 40 years ago when I first got into sales because it was just so, you know, it's just so fantastic. But it's a book that really helps you reframe. It doesn't mean you have to like no's. That's not the the point, but it's how we deal with them. 
And it's how we use those no's in order to propel us. They're the subtitle and their basic premise is that yes is the destination. No is how you get there. Mm. Instead of seeing it as a door slamming in your face or a completely discouraging, maybe mm-hmm. I should just give up. Right. Instead, it's just, okay, this is a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they, the way they, they do it really in the story really equips you. You come away saying, oh, I can't wait to go out there and get those no's because I know I'm <laughs> closer to getting the yeses. Mm-hmm. That's really encouraging in the light of fundraising and grant writing, especially oh, because yeah. that's a part of it. We're not going to win every grant. It is that's in normal. Any sales. Exactly. Yes. And that's where we say it's a, you know, it's, it's, and I can't tell you how many, you know, nonprofit people I've spoken with say, so, yeah, of course it's sales. It's absolutely sales. It's like you said, it's building relationships. Mm-hmm. It's going out there and it's, it's presenting your case and in doing it in terms of how the other person's going to benefit and it's sales. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. Right. Yes. And I think the more we talk about it and address it in just normal everyday terms, the more it can become less intimidating and just more doable. Like here are just some tools you're meeting people Mm -hmm. and helping them. And the, the people in nonprofit work overwhelmingly seem to have servants' hearts and they care about others. They're there because of this wonderful cause and the mission. Absolutely. So if they can also transfer that into the process of, like you're saying, the sales, but really the relationships and the network, and then it becomes just more natural Mm -hmm. and a part of the work they're doing anyway. Yeah. And, you know, when you're having more joy in what you're doing, when you're happier with what you're doing, it's more attractive. Absolutely. You know, and they also know that you're someone who is successful at what you're doing and people like to do business with successful people, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. When you're sincere and truly care about the person as well. mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, what is one of your favorite pieces about this go-giver concept? Do you have a favorite thing either about the book or the concept in general? Um, I think it's that, I think it's the good feeling of knowing that the more you take your focus off yourself, there's less pressure on you and it's actually more effective since the other person is is happy to be, you know, to have the focus on them, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so let's say you first meet someone, let's say you meet a business person and rather than, you know, talking about and you ask them what they do and they tell you and they ask what you do, rather than going into the big thing about your cause, which is going to then all of a sudden make that person defensive, right? What if instead you just, and I'm saying you've met them at some event or, or some, you know, what if instead you focused on them and asked them how they got started as a so-and-so, you know, in their, in their business. And you're one of the few people that has actually ever asked that person to share their story with you right? What if you say to that person after that answer, wow, you must have had some fascinating experiences. What do you enjoy most about your work? Again, you're asking questions that just make this person feel good about themselves, thus good about you. You know, what if you say to this person, if they're in sales and you ask what I call the one key question, which is how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is a good prospective client for you? Or if they're not in sales necessarily, you might say, how can I know if someone I'm speaking with is someone you'd like to meet or would be a good connection with you? And you see how you're, rather than, than you, you know, spewing out information about your cause, 
You're focused on them. You're the person they want to get to know more about. As an introvert, that sounds like such a relief. I can totally ask questions and I love to listen. (laughs) That's why I believe introverts, introverts have a decided advantage over extroverts. Extroverts might like the process more of a conversation, Mm -hmm. but introverts have more effective customer conversations Mm -hmm. because we want to ask questions and listen. And And we like to go deep. Go deep, yep. (laughs) We can go deep pretty fast sometimes. I love that. And, you know, even in a nonprofit role, they can still ask those questions. That probably doesn't occur to fundraisers sometimes to also ask a donor, how can I make connections for you? And and, and here's how you do this. You know, you, you lead in, you frame it with, you know, I always love connecting good people with other good people. How can I know if someone I'm speaking with would be a great connection for you. I love that. And that is such from a place of service. Yeah. Truly caring. Exactly. And then the best thing you do is make those connections. (laughs) Right. Within the ecosystem of your, yes, the best thing you can do, be that kind of resource Mm -hmm. in your, in your sphere, right? Right. Become instead of just being part of a sphere of influence, be that center of influence. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what you said earlier about make the decision, that is something that we can decide. And I feel like deciding consistently yeah. is the key of just, you can't try it a time or two and say, well, that right. didn't work. Oh, that didn't work. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't do that. Make the decision. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. I know that's been a big key just in like with grant writing, you've got to be consistent. You've got to get back to it nonprofit work, if you were just to give up, well, the nonprofit's not taking off, nobody's donating, eh, forget right. it. <laughs> but not nothing gets built that. that way. Exactly. Things that get built big typically don't happen fast. They happen with consistent, persistent work. Absolutely. I agree hundred percent. Well, this has been so helpful and I appreciate all the great resources you've shared. I will link to those books in the show notes. What is something that has been meaningful to you in your journey? Um, Well, right now, my business partner, Kathy Tajanel, and I have put together something called the Go-Giver Community Network. And we are just so excited. I I always say, think Facebook, but just for Go-Givers. So you've got all these people, right, who are just looking to bring value to others, as well as being open to receiving value Mm -hmm. from others. So we have that set up at the go-giver, without the hyphen, thegogivercommunity.com. And they can also find it at berg, B-U-R-G.com. But that's uh, what we're doing right now. And it is so much fun. It sounds like it. I've been kind of eyeing that. So I may have to come (laughs) give it a try. love you too. That's amazing. Well, I will link to all these things in the show notes and I'll certainly link to the community and really encourage people to check out the community and especially the book series as well. And the principles are so incredibly practical. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and encouragement. I appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for all the great work you're doing.
What do you think? If you haven't read The Go-Giver by now, are you convinced yet? This book is really worth your while. And it's one of those that I will be coming back to, to reread every few months or so. In fact, one of my Fast Track to Grant Writer students said she has a copy and she's reread it at least once a year ever since she's had it. And I fully agree with that. This has been amazing. And I really appreciate Bob taking the time to share his wisdom and encouragement with us, especially how we can apply these principles in the nonprofit context. I encourage you to check out the book, and I want to leave you with a challenge question. How can you reframe your thinking as a go-giver who inspires others? So think on that this week, and if you're interested in more support, with your nonprofit, I have a couple of tools to help you. Grant writers, you can go take the quiz, Do You Have What It Takes to Be a Grant Writer? at TeresaHuff.com slash quiz. And nonprofits, go take the grant readiness audit to see how grant ready are you at TeresaHuff.com slash grant ready. All right, friends, go be a go-giver and go change your world. Mm-hmm.